Set aside prayer, God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially let me go of all my old ideas so I can live in your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've, uh, we're, we're on the uh, fourth step, and in the big book, we did cover the pages on fear, I believe, last Wednesday on pages 67 and 68. And then for uh, fear inventory, I covered what's called the second step. It should be second step proposition fear exercise, really. And um, it's on the site for you listening on the podcast. If you go to the site on experiencethebigbook.org under resources for recovery and go to links and documents, you'll see the PDF on this. Uh, second step. It'll say second step proposition. And I, when I listen to this uh, this series of talks on Fellowship of the Spirit from 2001, and it's on XA speakers, you can listen to the whole thing. When they when they got to this, uh, it really uh, it really opened my eyes on uh, how fear has affected my life and how I can be free of fear. And um, uh, so you could print out that whole, I printed out the whole meeting and I got this out of this and we've used this through the years. Um, we covered the first page of the handout. Hi, Jonathan. Here you go. Uh, on Saturday and the second step, it's called the second step question, exercise on fear because on page 53 of the big book, and I'm looking at the front page, it's second paragraph, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I could not postpone or evade. I had to fearlessly face the question. At that point, when I was crushed, I, that either God is everything or else he's nothing. And the reason I, I faced that, I remember facing that question, it's because if God is nothing, there's no hope for me because I had no power to uh, uh, change my, uh, manage my life and keep from drinking and using. And so I said, God, help me. And uh, God's uh, put people in my life and uh, uh, I have a relationship with him today and I wouldn't exchange that for anything. So the question is either he is or he isn't. What is my choice to be? You know, when we're looking at fear, the reason I call this a fear exercise is because when I'm choosing me running my life, I automatically have fear in whatever area of my life I'm running. Whatever I'm doing, uh, fear will dominate me if I'm running my life. And my whole life was dominated by fear and I didn't realize that it was because I was relying on self. Remember the big book, it says, self-reliance failed me. And relying on myself, I had fear all the time. Fear not being good enough, not getting approval, uh, not getting what I thought I needed to be okay, uh, trying to manage well, being afraid I wouldn't manage well enough to be happy. Anybody else ever have that? And um, so, I use this exercise when I'm going through fear inventory with someone is what is your choice to be? Look at your fears. 
and why we have them. And we're going to look at that, those instructions. But also, if I'm disturbed today, I'm choosing myself over God. And whatever I'm being disturbed about or upset about is because I'm seeing it through Michael's eyes and not God's eyes. Anybody else relate to that? And that's true for the rest of your life. And we talked uh, a little bit about how the, the third step is a concession, and it has to be at the gut level where we concede absolutely that uh, I can't manage my life anymore, and I can't keep from drinking. And it can't be an intellectual decision he talks about here, because that won't work. It has to be a fully, uh, fully conceded their innermost selves. And I have to do that all the time. I have to do it today. I have to do it in the morning when I wake up and pray. And I have to seek God all, all the time for the rest of my life. It's not a done deal. You don't get uh, a God certificate and then you never, you're okay the rest of your life. No, you have to keep, because we constantly want to separate from him. And then they talk at the bottom about if you only concede in your mind, your ego is left unchecked and it's going to rebuild. And then the ego will tell you things that aren't true. And then people who come in and who are new, the ego rebuilds quickly. They don't have a relationship with God. They haven't done the fourth step yet. Their mind's still full of of their anger and fear and shame and guilt, and then that blocks them from God and their emotions build up and they drink or use again. And it can rebuild quickly. Anybody ever had the ego rebuild quickly? And Yeah. Anybody say you weren't going to do something and you're never going to drink again and you're never going to get upset again at 8 in the morning and then by noon your things are a mess? Yeah, because we don't have God. We don't have that relationship with God. And then he talks about the disease centers in our mind. And my mind tells me things that aren't true. And I have to tell, tell my mind now that it's not true. And it could be a lot of things, different things all the time. And I've learned that this one speaker, it just, it just struck me so powerfully. He, he was talking about uh, his thinker, um, the uh, vulture on the bedpost. It's on uh, XA speakers. I'm losing my mind. Bob, Bob uh, E., I believe. And he said that what he would say to his mind when he would get these thoughts, he would say, what's your source of information? And I heard that, like, I'll get a fear of something. Well, what's the source of your, that information, Michael? It's not from God. It's not even real. And so I don't want to pay attention to it. Um, and it could be in so many areas of my life. And I've learned that uh, uh, my thinking is not right all the time. And it can be wrong a lot. And so I have to watch that with God and with other people. And uh, doing these exercises helps me do it. And he says we have a narcissistic, egocentric core the bottom of the first page, dominated by feelings of omnipotence. Now, an intent on maintaining at all costs its ego inner integrity. Now, that's not good. And that's why very few alcoholics make it. Not because we're bad people, 
but because we have these feelings of omnipotent and we want to maintain our inner integrity, we don't want to give anything to anybody else, and we're narcissistic, egocentric core, and we don't uh, want control from man or God. And he says we must be master of our destiny, and he says if truly in step two, we truly accept the presence of God and that God can uh, restore us to sanity, then just by doing that and really believing that, we've changed our alcoholic core and enough to move into a different direction. And he says if we do it, we can modify temporarily and possibly permanently this inner structure. And if we do it, then we're no longer typically alcoholic. So if we're willing to believe that there's a power greater than me, just by uh, believing that that power can restore me to sanity, I changed from being a completely narcissistic, egocentric core, dominated by feelings of omnipotence, to someone who's, who's going to accept help from the outside, from somebody besides myself. And uh, a lot of people I've seen in AA don't want any help. They want to be helped, but they don't want to be told any directions. And if you tell them, ask them to do something, and it's not in their plan, they, they don't, they're not happy. And then they don't, they don't, they don't do it because they haven't really uh, accepted. And it says, if we do and we accept that there's a power greater ourselves, um, we, um, we do this without resentment or struggle, then we're no longer typically alcoholic. And he says the strange thing in this, Henry Thiebaud went to AA in 1939. He was a physician. He went before the big book was, was published. He went to meetings in New York to see what was going on because he wasn't able to help any of us. And there were people there that were sober and he was wondering what was going on. And he really believed in this program. And he says if alcohol can sustain that inner feeling of acceptance, he can and will remain sober for the rest of his life. And I think to do that requires the humility we talked about and the willingness to change and believing you can change. So now we're going to talk about um, some of the third step and then uh, get into this exercise. So we're going to the second page of the uh, handout. It's, it's probably the print on the uh, site is small, so it's at the bottom of that first page. So a religious or spiritual awakening uh, is the act of giving up one's reliance uh, on God, on gives, giving up one's reliance on one's omnipotence, step three. The defined individual no longer defies, but accepts helps, guidance, and control from the outside. Now what makes us want to except help, guidance, and control from the outside. Pain. Anybody in pain when you came in here? Anybody completely defeated, willing to uh, uh, accept help? Remember it says that we had the, the de they had the desperation of a drowning man and the flimsy reed, the flimsy reed that they reached up to grab became the hand of God. And so, we have to reach up, and what seems at first a flimsy reed becomes the hand of God. And just coming to AA and getting somebody to help you and going to meetings and becoming part of this becomes the flimsy reed. 
And then as you do the work of the steps, it becomes the powerful hand of God. And at least that's true for me, and I know it's been true for others in the room. It says, as the individual relinquishes, gives up his negative, aggressive feelings towards himself and towards life, he finds himself overwhelmingly overwhelmed by strongly positive ones. And isn't that what we try to do? Uh, we move from the left-hand side of the column where we're practicing God's character to the right-hand, we're practicing my character to the right-hand side where we're practicing God's character. So I want to give up negative, aggressive feelings and have positive ones, such as love, friendliness, peacefulness, and contentment which is, the, he states, is the exact antithesis of a form of restless and irritability. So when we come in the doctor's opinion, he said, we're restless, irritable, and discontent. And when we're in that state, we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol. Is that true for anybody in the room? And we want the ease and comfort of this liquid. And we're in that state of irritable and restless because we're separated from God and we're living a life on self-will. So the spiritual malady produces this restless and irritability, and then alcohol becomes the solution for that. And when we're separated from God and we're running the world, it doesn't go well. All members of Alcoholics Anonymous who succeed in remaining dry sooner or later undergo the same change in personality. And in bold print, it says, they must lose the narcissistic element permanently Otherwise, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works only temporarily. And I think we lose the narcissistic element permanently through the process of the steps and seeking God in, every, in all areas of our lives all the time and understanding that I don't want to run the show anymore. And he was very interested because he didn't know how to produce this, this change in these pe people. And he was interested in us because he could see how we were changed and our personality becomes different. Regardless of his final conception of that power, unless the individual attains in the course of time a sense of the reality and nearness of a greater power, his egocentric center will reassert itself with undiminished intensity and drinking will again enter the picture. And this is why I say the disease of alcoholism occurs when you're sober and you, haven't, you don't have a relationship with God. And then if you're in that situation where you haven't worked the steps, you're coming to AA, you're not drinking, you're e usually the egocentric nature will reassert itself with undiminished intensity. You start running the world, you're not happy with the way you're going and you drink. And then you'll hear people say AA didn't work or the steps didn't work, or God didn't, the God idea didn't work. Well, it's because they didn't do it, and they didn't give up, they weren't willing to accept help, guidance and control from the outside, and they weren't willing to change their, and they believe that there's a power greater than themselves. So here's, he's gonna paraphrase what Dr. Tebolt said. If we don't truly accept step two at our deepest inner structure, that there is a power out there, and that power can, can, can give me sanity towards life and towards alcohol. We can't sustain that inner feeling of acceptance and remain sober. We must give up reliance on one's omnipotence through step three and help 
and accept help, guidance, and control from the outside. Now, I believe that you can do step two and three, but unless, but we, we won't give up reliance on one's omnipotence unless we do steps four through nine and live in 10, 11, and 12. He says we have to lose the narcissistic element permanently. Now, I don't think that I, I've lost it permanently. I think each day I have to treat my narcissistic personality with the steps all the time. When self starts to rise and I get back in self, it says when resentment, selfishness, the size of fear crop up, that's my narcissistic personality. I have to ask God at once to remove it. Otherwise, the program only works temporarily. Our egocentric nature will reassert itself with the undiminished intensity and drinking will get entered the picture. So he asked the question before, why, if you've come to AA, you're sober a while, you've, you've worked the first three steps, why is your life outside of AA still a mess? And it can still be a mess at 22 years of sobriety, some days. Because our alcoholic ego has rebuilt itself. And remember, Bill said it's simple, not easy. What has to be done? We have to destroy our self-centeredness, our self-centeredness, page 14 in the big book. It's simple, but not easy. A price has to be paid the destruction of our self-centeredness. And that's what he's talking about. We have to destroy our self-centeredness all the time. And we do it through the process of the steps. So because our alcoholic ego has rebuilt itself, that's why A's life outside is a mess. And you could be sober for years and never work the steps, and your life has just continued to be a mess, but you're not drinking. And of course, your life's better if you're not drinking. But do you have emotional sobriety? And, and I think that's really the key, not just to get state, not drink, but to be emotionally sober, to be able to be at peace with the world and not in conflict all the time. He says, if you only concede your drinking and only conceded that in our mind, we haven't conceded the everything that the second step requires to enter most cells. We have to give up everything. We haven't conceded that our life outside of AA is unmanageable. We haven't admitted defeat or considered, conceded to our powerlessness in running the rest of our life. And that's where you get the humility of the first three steps, that I just can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. So if our choice in the second step questions God is everything, then we have to give God everything. You think that's a good idea? I think, I, I do think in the beginning, I had to be, admit to myself I was 100% powerless over alcohol and 100% powerless to manage my own life. And I want to stay 100% powerless for the rest of my life. And I've had people come up to me say, I'm 90% powerless. I'm getting there, Doc. And I say, good. And then the next week they say they're 95% powerless. But I didn't see them on week three. We have to give it up 100%. That means 100% uh, willingness. And then it says, um, we can't just give him the drinking aspects of our life. We must go give God complete control of our entire life through a concession at the deepest level to our innermost selves. So in the third step, he says, we offer ourselves to God for him to build with me and do with me as thou wilt.
Anybody ever said that prayer? People said it a lot. It's a good prayer. I like it. Build with me and do with me as thou wilt. That means God is running the show, the whole show. We don't get a vote. Now, I do think I get a vote some days, and then I start running the show, and then I have to say, there you go again. As Don P. says, your life is none of your damn business. I think uh, Chuck C. said, it's my business to do God's business, and it's God's business to take care of me. I really like that. My job every day, I work for God, is play the role he assigned and do his, stay close to him and do his work well. That's it. And if I do that, my life's going to be okay. He says, your life is none of your damn business. The third step says, made a decision to turn our will, what I want, and my life, everything about our actions and our life over to the care of God. And then I really liked this the first time I read it. From this point on, what I want does not matter. And we had a man who uh, came for quite a few years and unfortunately died of uh, pneumonia. But he used to say this all the time. He says, what I want doesn't matter. And he would say, why is a management question. You remember him, Mark. He was such a great guy. What I want does not matter. It's what God wants that matters. And, and I remember writing this uh, several places. I wrote it at work. I wrote it in the bathroom. What I want doesn't matter in the car. Uh, and if I, if I uh, am getting disturbed at all, it's because what I want does matter. And then I'm on the wrong side. So I, it's almost automatic to me today. I know what's wrong with me immediately whenever I'm off the beam now. How quickly I get back on the beam is up to me. But it doesn't have to take long at all. It's what God wants that matters. And that's what this exercise is about for fear, because fear is when what I want does matter. And then I have fear that I won't get what I want or what I need, or God won't give me what I want or need. And it's what God wants that matters. That's why my sponsor made me write, what I want does not matter all over the place. I could see it all day, every day. And if you're new, it's not a bad idea. Put it on the car. Maybe I need to write it again. No matter how long you're in the program, what I want does not matter. Okay, you see now that we know what the problem is. So my problem is that what I want does matter and I have to give God everything and what I want doesn't matter. He says, what do I have to do? Well, that's exactly what this exercise is all about. And then this is where I get the uh, set aside prayer because he would say it when he started to do any step work, Dave Fredrickson, and I have my own version so he says, before we begin to write, I suggest prayer meditation. I pray and meditate because I've experienced what the big book says, that my own prejudice is one of my greatest roadblocks to true progress. My own prejudice, my old ideas. Anybody notice that? My own prejudice is one of my greatest roadblocks to true progress. Therefore, before I begin any inventory or step work, keeping in mind my powerlessness of step one, I always seek power through prayer and meditation. And he, he includes his set version of the set-aside prayer. He says, God, I ask you to be with me, to guide and direct me as I seek your truth. Father, please set aside within me that which would block me off from the truth. 
lay aside my prejudice about what I think I know about this process, this exercise, my spiritual condition. Remove my fears about what I may find out about myself and help me realize your truth. So, th so uh, I have a version of that. And uh, every morning when I pray, I kind of say that as well. It's part of my, before I get out of bed, I have a series of prayers. And why do I do it before I get out of bed? Because I don't want to go very long without admitting that I need God's help today. And without him, I'm nothing. I when I used to go to work, Sundays I'd get busy. Anybody else do that? And I'd have to be in a hurry, and I'd forget to do my prayers, and then uh, I'd be a little uneasy when I would get to work. And then I would have to stop and say, you know, I, you know, if I had to, like on Wednesday mornings, I had to get to the cancer conference real early, and I'd have to get and run, blah, blah, blah. And I'd have to stop and start saying the prayers just to begin the day, get centered with God. So in the beginner exercise, you just get a sheet of paper and you draw a line down the middle. And you have two columns, columns one and columns two. And the top of column one, you write out this question, what areas of my life have I not given or I'm not willing to give to God? So that's column one. Then fill in all the column one with all the areas of your life where this applies. Now it could be people, or it could be uh, uh, other things in general. So we're gonna look at that. And he, he uses a tornado exercise to help identify that. And the tornado is from uh, page 82, three. Remember that paragraph? The alcoholic is like a tornado. Tornadoes are really, we're in Kansas. We haven't had a tornado in Topeka for quite a while, but when they come, everything, it, it can destroy everything. And uh, uh, roaring, I was a tornado roaring through the lives of others. And I didn't realize that till I did my four step. So if I'm the tornado, who gets affected? Remember he says in the big book, we come out of the cellar and say, isn't it grandma, the wind stopped blowing. And meanwhile, we've just wrecked these people's lives. And, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, I went to treatment, I'm 30 days sober, why is she still upset with me? And why are the people at work? You get it? Uh, we don't realize the havoc that we've caused. And it, you read page uh, 82 and they'll talk about that. So look at who's affected, is it your spouse? Are you afraid to give your spouse to God? Is it your, your uh, ex-spouses or, or husbands? Is it your in-laws? Is it your kids? Is it your um, brothers and sisters? And you look at those people and you see if, uh, if you've been afraid and not given or willing to give them to God, in other words, give up expecting things from them, uh, determining how they should be to me. Have I given them to God? Have I given Patty to God? I have, and I've had to keep giving her occasionally. And, and um, so you can find a list. So he says kids, siblings, parents, friends, people at work. There are people at work that you have fear of. Are you unwilling to give them to God? So you're not afraid of them. 
Remember, you lose fear of people because you're willing to make amends, and you're not you're not trying to manage them anymore. And so you look at those people. It could be church members, neighbors, etc. And he says, when you do that, you can identify your areas of control. Could it be relationships, wife, family, people at work, people in the world, people at church? And you could write out uh, relationships. And each one of the relationships, have I given each of these relationships and their outcome over to God? So you can get quite a few names just in the beginning with the tornado exercise, the people you've interacted with in your life. Am I still trying to control these relationships? Anybody still trying to do that? Now you see, it's part of my personality. I told my wife, I'm not gonna worry about what you're gonna make for dinner tonight anymore. But what are we having over the weekend? You get it? It's almost impossible. Uh, but she doesn't listen to me anymore, so we're okay. But you see, we, it's just part of our personality. But we have to understand that we can't control other people. Is anybody in a relationship where you think you know what the other person should do to be happy? It sounds preposterous, but Hunter knows what I'm talking about. And so I think if Patty would just do this, she would, these would be the results and she would be happier. And she's explained to me on numerous occasions that she's, she's over 65, she can make her own decisions, she knows what's best for her. Dick's smiling, because he, he, he's married to Patty too, and uh, he has his own Patty. And you see, we do it, and we're not doing it to be mean, but we're still trying to figure out what they need to do to be happy, and, it's, and we're not giving them to God. And when I give her to God, our relationship is very good. And so uh, I laugh at myself now, but now he says, when I think of these people, does the hair on the back of my neck stand up or am I peace? And if they bother me, are they a burden to me? And you can get a list of names. And so I ask my, myself, he says, ask yourself, in what areas of my life have I been generally unhappy, frustrated, angry, or upset about lately? What have I been complaining about? And what areas of my life has drama been lately? In what areas have I not been getting my way? And you write, so it could be job, finances, investments, relationships, politics, the world, the church, the church members, your physical condition. It's up to you. You can write it out. He gives some examples, but you don't have to just follow this. Think about what any area of your life or you've been unhappy, frustrated, angry, or upset. And when you're done, move on to calm too. Why am I afraid to give these areas to God? And I think I'll stop there. And then on Saturday, we'll go through this. And if you can, think about some of these things in your own life that uh, where you've been frustrated, you've had drama, you're unhappy, you complain about, what areas you're not getting your way. And uh, I don't know if, like, Mark, you'll help me. What about the fear the chief's losing? Is that a, I'm afraid to give the result to God. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 Mark and I have this, uh, yeah, but it's silly. We just joke about it. So uh, if there are any Raiders fan, I know John's a Raiders fan. So don't, 
Don't text me Monday if the Raiders win. All right, I'm going to quit. People on the podcast are getting upset.